Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome back, yes, back, to Cage Rage, the Nicholas Cage podcast. Now, first and foremost, let's address the elephant in the room. Uh, apologies for the length of the break that has been taken between um, the last episode covering The Family Man and the Nicholas Cage does the Grinch, which I hope you enjoyed, by the way, because that hurt my throat. Um, didn't mean for the break to be this long, uh, sort of wrapped up in... Christmas and all that, and then back to work in the new year, and um, it's just sort of the way that the cookie has crumbled, unfortunately. Um, you'll be glad to know that Ian's since taken down all of his bloody Christmas decorations from his front garden, so that, that's no longer blinding me when I'm trying to sleep at two in the morning. Um, always nice. Um, we have had a bit of snow since we last spoke, that's been nice as well. Um, but that aside, obviously another reason, um, just been very busy behind the scenes putting together this big old backlog of uh of episodes um you know got the next 10 or so in the bag and some that will come out in a, a few weeks some a few months uh one episode's not going to be out for maybe a year um so you know many fingers many pies still trying to orchestrate and push this thing forward at the time of recording as well by the way um the twitter page It's teetering, I stress teetering, on the brink of 500 Twitter followers. Can you believe that? So follow me on Twitter, at cage underscore podcast. Been very busily shitposting um, at the time of recording. We've just had the trailer for Willy's Wonderland has dropped. Um, You can probably hear my cat just jumped off a thing as well. Don't worry, he'll still be in the background of some episodes, screaming um, and just being a bother to these very unprofessional settings in which I record. Don't worry about it. Uh, Willy's Wonderland trailer's just dropped. That's releasing February 12th, Video Under Man Worldwide. So fucking excited for Willy's Wonderland. It's going to be big, dumb fun, and I am here for it. I'll tell you what else I'm here for. This week's episode, picking up where we left off in Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Um, this episode was recorded a few months ago. Um, I was joined by the wonderful Sam Nicaresti helping me break this one down. Very funny conversation, had a great time speaking to Sam. Hopefully you'll have a great time listening as well. Um, you might be wondering, oh, where's, where's the Christmas carol when you should have done that? I'll probably just save it for next Christmas at this point. No one's going to listen to a Christmas episode in January or February whenever this one comes out. But have some perspective, people. Come on now. And obviously, as we all know, Christmas didn't happen this year. 2020 didn't happen. It's a write-off. Look outside and see what's going on in the world, you bloody fools. And do also keep an eye out in the very near future, uh, hopefully on or around the time this podcast has launched as well, as Sam Nicaresti is also launching his own brand new podcast. It's called UFO. It's a sci-non-fi, and that is dropping 
very soon as well. So keep an eye on Sam Nicaresti's social medias for that. No doubt it's going to be absolutely fantastic. But with this all said and done, let's jump into the episode. It's a really good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's Daryl Edge. It's Sam Nicaresti, Cage Rage, Nicholas Cage podcast, covering Captain Gorelli's mandolin. ta So we begin 2001 by going back to 1941 and the once tranquil island of Kefalonia for the wartime romantic drama Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Now occupied by Italian forces, Nicolas Cage stars as Captain Antonio Corelli, a jolly mandolin-loving Italian officer who soon falls in love with the strong-willed Pelagia played by Penelope Cruz, uh, the daughter of the island's doctor. As the war grows ever closer, the two must endure as they are forced to choose between allegiances to their country and their feelings for each other. So joining me on the journey to true cage nirvana this week and helping me navigate these Greek isles is comedian, musician, graphic designer and filmmaker Sam Nicaresti. Sam, thank you for joining. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Um, so as we get into all of these things, I always like to do some uh, little bit of preamble chit chat with the guests and just have a little uh, little discussion on sort of the cage before we dive into the film. Uh, I'm always interested to know because cage for me is one of those actors that um, whether you love him or loathe him, everyone's got an opinion on the man and for yourself, what are your sort of feelings on Cage and where he stands on the acting spectrum. Oh gosh, well, I mean, what a question. What, where would you? What's the spectrum that we're talking about? Like, what is the lower end and the upper end? Um, I mean, I, I try not to be biased. I try to run a fair ship, but it's Nicholas Cage and it's everyone else, and you're either right or you're wrong. Right. Okay. Right. So, in terms of a spectrum of of where I place Nicholas Cage, uh, the one extreme is Nicholas Cage, <laughs> and then at the other extreme we've got everyone else, and I have to place him somewhere on that line. Yeah. I'd, probably, I'd probably put him about halfway. I'd probably put Nicholas Cage halfway between Nicholas Cage and, <laughs> and everyone else. Yeah, that's a fair placement. That's a fair placement, and um, I can't fault you. I can't fault yeah. you. Yeah, throwing big questions this early on. You know, no, I like it. I, you know, I, I mean, I'm this. I love chit chat, but I do like to dive into it. I'm absolutely happy to uh, to go big straight away. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it is an interesting question because I guess you know you are really talking about Nicolas Cage, the icon, and what Nicolas Cage represents as a symbol. And I think there definitely the human being would fall halfway between the sort of uh, the godlike icon. <laughs> and uh and the mere mortals i would you know i would say he, he is but flesh and blood ultimately and one day you know will pass from this world but um the legacy he leaves behind will be immortal and immutable i think is you know a, a statement that no one could disagree with uh, and you won't find any disagreement from me at all i mean i uh i often say look life comes down to three things death taxes and nicholas cage and in the end one of them will get you it's yeah. just um, <laughs> right. how, you, how you play your life and how it's going to end up for you. Yeah, as Limp Biscuit famously says. Is that Limp Biscuit who did In the End? Have I got, or is that Linkin Park? Which one was that? Uh, Lincoln Biscuit. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, you think it was Lincoln Biscuit? Yeah, um, I I missed out musically on that era in my childhood. I'm going to be honest, I segued straight into Jamiroquai, uh, something I still won't apologise for. Really? <laughs> We're still holding on to that. 
yeah. big hat era of music. Hey, the late 90s, early 2000s were a very um, informative time for my musical journey. And big hats were in. Mm. It was a bad time. It was, it was a bad, bad time for music. You had, um, yeah, Jamiroquai. We, um, uh, were you a fan of At The Drive-In? Um, only sort of later on. Again, all these bands that were um, had their peak. I'm a peak misser. Um, there's never been a peak that I've been on top of. Um, okay. And that's, well, listen, that's on check me. out check out pulp up and pulp. coming fresh faced yeah pulp and oasis right I would, highly, I would recommend you might enjoy them they're sort of coming up now i guess for you <laughs> post pete daryl yeah i've got i'm, I'm still i'm just about to uh get into like 1998 in terms of my spotify playlist really excited uh well listen there's an mtv unplugged session i would love to recommend you <laughs> i can't wait i genuinely can't wait um now, in sort of in terms of um, recommendations as well, and we'll, we'll obviously touch on this a little bit more, but um, I know for yourself, like for me, this was my first time um, not only um, discovering Greece as a, as a country, but Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Um, with the other Cage films that you've seen, where, you know, where would you rate this in terms of what you've seen? Is it a film that you think you would... Uh, recommend to people who are sort of dipping into the Cage archives. As a well, as a Cage film, maybe not. I don't know. It's it's a. I think. I mean, we can get into it more, but um, I would say that as a film, it, it stands alone. I think that out of a lot of Cage films, you you are often asking yourself the question: Is this a film that Nicolas Cage is in, or is this a Nicolas Cage film? And I think that the struggle between uh, the two modes and Nicolas Cage's inherent gravity, the way that he pulls a film into himself is I think part of what produces a good or a very bad movie. And I think that Captain Corelli's Mandolin is, I mean, I, I'd never watched it before. Um, I kind of avoided it because I'm not big on romance period pieces it's not the sort of cinema i i just don't really care about mm. it i think if if a dvd has a picture of a, a man in military uniform and then a a beautiful lady and they're having a kiss even if that man is nicholas cage i'm not i'm not interested you know because i then i know what the movie's going to be i'm looking at it and i'm thinking well it's going to be a kiss it's going to be a kissing film and there's the spoilers right on the cover of it the the kiss will be a success so i don't i don't need to waste 2 hours of my life waiting for the kiss um and i guess in that regard yeah the film was pleasantly surprising the kiss actually comes halfway through and then some more stuff happens so it was it, that was gratifying i liked the fact that it wasn't a completely kiss centric film um, but I would also say it's not a completely Nick Cage-centric film yeah. as well, you know. Um, I was a little bit hesitant about watching it because, yeah, it's a good, um, it's a very, it's a, listen, it's a very famous, we all know the words Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Yeah. We know it as a film, but um, to, you know, to compare it to, I don't know, you know, Vampire's Kiss or, or Wicker Man or... Um, you know some real classic Nicolas Cage offerings. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel? Where did you feel it, it kind of came for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with completely with what you said. You get two types of film. It's a, 
either a Nicolas Cage film or a film that Nicolas Cage is in. Um, this was a film he was in. And like you, I'm uh, my forte is not romantic films or dramas. Um, it's not my go-to. And like you said, with the post of this film, it is Nicolas Cage kids in Penelope Cruz. So you know, it's it Penelope point... spoilers, but it is does turn out in the end to be Penelope Cruz that gets the yeah. kiss. <laughs> when the Scooby Gang arrive and unmask uh, the Islander, it is old. It's old um, P. Cruz. What film were you watching? <laughs> I mean, well, to be fair, director's the... cut was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, like the version I sourced out, um, it had subtitles on, but weirdly enough, the subtitles were like two minutes ahead, um, which made it quite interesting towards the latter half of the film. And again, jumping ahead, but when an Italian soldier got shot, the subtitle came up and said Italian man praying uh, when he was screaming in pain. So, um, okay. So you, 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 what you watched an illegal version is what you did. You watched, uh, you call me out again on my podcast, <laughs> Sam Nicaresti. Um, I, well, no, I mean, you know, to be fair, props to you because I tried. I had to buy it in the end, as you know. You, had to, you sent me five, five quid, five pound nineteen. <laughs> yeah. I had to buy, I had to buy the bloody thing. I've got it now. I own it. It's, yeah. um, it's quite. It do you know what though? Expense. It, I thought it was quite good. I was, I was glad that we did that because I did spend a while trying to find a version online, and I, I just couldn't. I think, um. It looked for a while like we were going to be able to get it off Amazon, but that was that was then US only, and I couldn't be bothered getting into VPNs. So that yeah. the, the dream died. But the <laughs> the DVD, if I could describe it, did come with some very helpful. It had a booklet insert, Ooh. Um, which gave you a timeline of the Italian occupation of um, Cephalonia. And, and just the wider image of what was going on in the war at the time, which I thought was actually really good scene setting. And then it gave you a little character bio for, you know, John Hurt and Penelope Cruz gets one and Nicolas Cage gets one. So it was very nice. So I, did, I actually feel like I got a good insight into what the film was about. I feel like you might have got a better insight than me. If I had known there was a booklet involved in the, uh, the DVD, I think I would have got it myself. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's like a a trefold trifold booklet double-sided so that's so Ooh. yeah you it looks quite thin on first inspection you think oh god well what's this and it's one of those ones you see you think this is this is just going to be adverts for other films of the era maybe but um no you open it up it's all um ccm relevant material well that's the only material i would have been interested in if i was going to buy the dvd of it um i mean i did have a look sort of what films came out at the time because um, this is one that I, th I think at the time I only would have been about 10, 11 years old, but I don't remember this film coming out. And I think unsurprisingly checking out that when it came out, it opened behind the likes of uh, American Pie 2, Rush Hour 2, The Princess Diaries, and of course, who can forget Rat Race? So it didn't stand yeah. a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, well, you would have hated this DVD because Obviously, it's one of those old, proper old school ones. Opens with a bunch of trailers for other films, and you've got to sit through it. Can't you? Yeah, know, can't skip it. Well, I didn't try to skip it, but I imagined it was unskippable. So <laughs> I, I was actually aware that Rat Race was on there because it, it was on the. God, imagine that! Like your DVD comes out, and then the preamble is just uh, advertisements for films that did better than yours. Mm. What? Well, I what think. Time? I think that's the kind of. I, to be honest. 
I do think that gives you a lot of insight when you sit down the whole experience of watching, you know, it's like when I go to the cinema, I, I think it's very important to go there for the adverts, not just for the film trailers, but for the adverts, because it's set in the whole emotional scene of what people have decided to pair with what you're about to see. And you can tell how good a quality of a film it is based on the adverts that come before it. So that they, you didn't actually, you know, you didn't get adverts for American Pie 2 on there. Yeah. So you can tell already going in, they they are not saying Captain Corelli's mandolin is in any way comparable to American Pie 2. Um, and I, could, to be honest, I can't remember most of the films that were on there, but they were all of an ilk. It was all Italian or Spanish wartime vague love stories um you know there was a lot of kissing films there was a lot of uh, <laughs> tantalizing kissing scenes going on again you know spoiling the films you know not, not gonna watch them <laughs> i mean it, you know i i like to pair it's like you know what wine do you have with a meal i have a nice main of captain craze mandolin and then as a side dish a bit of rat race as well just for some uh, a bit of spice you, put, you would put rat race as the side dish yeah, I think if I can somehow combine uh, sort of the romance and wartime backdrop of Mandolin with uh, the wacky antics of Rowan Atkinson in Rat Race, somewhere in the middle of that uh, amalgamation of mayhem, I think is something really beautiful. See, I don't know if I would go for Rat Race. I don't know if that's quite the right uh, vibe for the, or wine for the, the film. I mean... <laughs> It's an interesting one, especially with war films, because, you know, there's, there is a lot to choose from. You, you know, you could go for another film about the uh, Italian, you know, um, regime, uh, the fall of Mussolini. You know, you could have uh, you have 120 days of Sodom in there if you wanted. <laughs> yeah. that, um, probably that would be my choice. I would I would do Captain Credit's Mandolin followed by Salo. That would be <laughs> that'd be my dessert. If that's your dream dish, then who am I to tell you that you uh, can't oh, indulge yourself? Yeah, you know? my dream dish is um, yeah <laughs> a, a horrific art house pornographic flick featuring people eating poo, <laughs> <laughs> and then Captain Crowley's mandolin. <laughs> mm. I mean, obviously, for the audio medium, I'll just have to say Chef's Kiss, um, but delicious mm. Mm. and. And dare I say, um, of, the, of the guests I've had so far, you might be the bravest and boldest, and I applaud you okay, um, right. for, your, for your dedication to the craft. Um, Brilliant. Something that might not have paired as well. Um, again, with all these films, I like to do a little bit of uh, looking in at behind the scenes, the trivia, and I don't know if some of these would have appeared in the uh, the lovely trifold booklet that you got with the, um, with the DVD. Uh, this was based on a novel, 1994, of the same name. Um, that novel won the 1995 Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best Book. Uh, but the author, uh, Louis D. Berniers, if hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, he disapproved of the film. His quote was said to be, it would be impossible for a parent to be happy about its baby's ears being put on backwards, although he was complimentary of the soundtrack. So not a complete write-off. Yeah, I mean, the soundtracks, I don't know, the soundtrack kind of came and went for me. I don't know if that would be the thing that I would pick out from the movie. It was pretty, I, I got, I mean, obviously it was a pretty crucial, we're talking a film about a mandolin. The soundtrack is going to be part and parcel of, of the film. But I, I mean, I didn't think it was that impressive, to be honest. Um, I think that 
Nicolas Cage is not the right actor if you want to embody the sort of subtle beauty of music overcoming the horror of war because he holds that mandolin <laughs> like a meat cleaver. <laughs> yeah, he just, doesn't, he just doesn't express to me, you know, subtlety or, or beauty in any way. And that's not what he's known for. And I would say, like, I think that's one of the biggest problems with this film is, is that Nicolas Cage is just miscast in it completely. Yeah. He's, um, I mean, I, well, this, I mean, I don't know how it was for you. Maybe, maybe you want to, you know, take us through how you kind of uh, felt the movie opening. But for me, the, the, the first time you see Nicolas Cage on screen, it is just such a shock to the system because up until then it's been a pretty good film i thought yeah i mean the the i thought with the opening especially obviously it's um there's no doubt that uh Kefaloni is a very beautiful island like a wonderful backdrop and if nothing else by the end of the film I was like i would like to visit there it would be very very nice i think i'd have um a, a lovely time and then as it with the start of the film, you know, we've got um, all the villagers, they're having a lovely time. Everyone's dancing around, the firing off cannons. Um, just a bit of banter on Kefalonia. John yeah, Hurt is Dr. Dr. Yanis. He's pulling things out of villagers' ears. And he's um, very good. He is, he pulls a little, uh, what is it, like a grape or something out of there. He's got like a little stone in there. Yeah, a little, um, a little pea is pulled out. And then it's a pea. You're right. It is a dried pea. How it gets there, we don't know. Um, it did remind me of a time actually when I had to go to the doctors and they said I needed my ears syringing because I can sympathise with the villagers. Like, oh, everything's so loud now. So I remember when mm. I left the, when I left the doctors and I heard a car almost for the first time. Really, it was a a terrifying revelation that I'd lived my life in um in in silence and sadness. But that's the did, magic were you, feeling. Were you like the character in the film Death? in one ear or was it just a sort of a muted problem yeah it was one of those things i didn't realize i think you don't really realize because you'd be like how do you really compare hearing to another person but it wasn't until i went to the doctors they're like yeah we're gonna have to um sort you out my friend um so i had the um well not really the operation but the procedure where they sort of jet hot water into your ear um and i remember saying to the nurse um because i said i don't know what it's supposed to feel like i was like oh i can actually feel it behind my eye and then she just looked at me and said oh that's not supposed to happen and then just carried on jetting me in the ear um <laughs> but has that had a knock-on effect since only time only time will tell but the euphoria nonetheless of the uh of the villager is something i really related to in this film right okay i mean that could have also been a side effect of hot water being sprayed directly onto your frontal lobe but <laughs> Dancing over sad thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it is a euphoric moment. It's the early euphoric. And it sets up, I think, part of the problem that I have with, with Nicolas Cage is you take John Hurt, you take Penelope Cruz, um, you even take Christian Bale is in this, this bloody film. Yeah. Um, when you're watching them on screen... I don't listen, you know, I don't know what the intricacies of the um Catalonian dialect are. I'm not sure if Penelope Cruz is doing a convincing 
Ionian Greek accent or if she's just doing a Spanish accent and I'm just sort of buying it. Yeah. But I know instantly that Nicolas Cage is doing a bad Italian accent. <laughs> I'm actually glad that you brought that up. I don't know if you saw this, but um, similar to the Razzies, there are awards called the Stinkers um, that run in LA for a while. I don't think they'd run anymore. Um, but that year, uh, for two, the 2001 Stinkers, he did pick up the award for most annoying fake accent male. So <laughs> you are you are absolutely right to call him out on his accent there. It's very um, fair. Do you know who who won it for female? Do, do you know? No, I'd have to I'd have to look that up. I was just checking on the IMDb page, um, and then it had like a little sort of like yellow tab that says um, two wins, five nominations. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but none of the awards were particularly um, distinguished. I guess you'd it's say. interesting that he would win for that. For, I mean, it feels like there are a lot of films that Nicolas Cage could win a stinker or a Razzie for. But I do, I do think that you know part part of the like fundamental problem is is that Nicolas Cage can be good and or, or at the very least interesting when he's playing himself, and you you're basically you're watching a film that's about the idea of what would happen if Nicolas Cage wasn't. Uh, an actor but just a man and these events were happening to that man and that man just happened to be Nicolas Cage whereas whereas here yeah. what's happening is that Nicolas Cage is, is playing a sort of semi-historical figure who is most definitely not Nicolas Cage but actually an entirely different Italian man and you, it just doesn't work you just it, it doesn't even and the thing is is that there is an I think for me, right, there was a, a level uh, on which this film worked in that it's the horror of war. You know, you're introduced to this idyllic island community and everything seems to just be going well, they're going about their lives. And then, you know, the cloud of war comes and the Italians invade. And when you see that shot of the the uh, the, the the parachutists, the Italian soldiers, pa uh, soldiers parachuting down onto the island. Yes, it yeah. comes with this extra sense of dread because you know that one of them is Nicholas Cage, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that that really does save the movie in some way because he, throughout it, he is the cancer. Like war is the cancer. He comes into what at the start is a very well acted and quite good movie and just through being in it and his his choice of accent you can feel it affecting the performers around him it starts to bring the rest of them down like Christian Bale starts uh slipping up I I feel like John Hurt you know even he's like usually above the I mean John Hurt pretty impeccable in his whole film I've got to say yeah. I you know I did actually shed a little tear at the end this film did make me cry um, for you know, John Hurt's performance is very convincing in it, but even he's kind of brought down a peg or two. And it must be like as an experience to be an actor on a film, because like, do you know when you're going into it that Nicolas Cage is going to be in it, or do you turn up on the island and you're shooting all your scenes and you're like, this is this is pretty good, this is going pretty well, and then one day you just sort of see him, you know, like coming out out a trailer or something, or like grabbing a bit of hot food from the buffet, and you think. Oh no! <laughs> the, the cloud of war is is here. It's, it's Nicholas Cage. <laughs> they do call him in Hollywood the cloud of war. Yeah. Um, 
imagine you just get the script and says like why is this why does this actor's name just say redacted it's like it, it, it's fine just a doesn't just just a casting thing just a casting thing um the question is how I wonder much if the page is real the, and how much is cgi yeah <laughs> all of his scenes are cgi he has the feel of like um you know how like in the new star wars films where um they're bringing dead actors back to life yeah. through through cgi I, it really does feel in this movie like like all of nicholas cage is made using that technology <laughs> like nicholas cage just seems to move through films at a completely removed level from everyone else it feels like he's always been put in in post yeah i mean that's the thing with clowns you can't you can't contain them especially the violent ones and they're nebulous he... yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's that's exactly the thing. Um, yeah, like I say though, like at the start, and obviously I I don't try to say it as a detriment to him, but before it's in, in this seems like a nice like story building. Um, uh, Pelagia or Pelagia, um, I feel they say her name out a few different ways. Um, everyone has a go. Everyone has everyone has a go at pronouncing the old the old P dog. Um, but then we've got Christian Bale as Mandress, the um, just the um most beautiful fisherman on the island by some stretch the only fisherman i think we've ever seen on that island he's courting her he's gluing her to chairs he's having a great time but then he's um he's get he gets shot in the uh in the gluteus by a cannon and then um pelagia is having diagnosed in his his ass i don't know if you i think this is afterwards when he uh, for some reason, he disappears two different times and then just reappears in the shadow of his house. Um, each time he's got a new beard. Uh, but the first time, basically, when he's walked back from war, he's lost his boots. He's got, like, the stinky feet and everything. Then he's laid on the table. And um, I thought I, I had to sort of pause and, like, did, did I just see this? Like, his mother's there, just, like, basically laughing at her injured son's penis, saying, like, <laughs> at least you know what you're in for. And everyone just has yes. a great little laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a, a nice moment where they all laugh at the implied tiny size of um, Christian Bale's penis, which is, um, yeah, probably like not what you want because he has, at this point in the film, I, I think walked back from Albania where he's experienced cold and starvation fighting off the um, the Italian troops. And I mean... For one, right, we're talking about they live on a, an island. So if he's saying he's walked back, that that's insane. He's at some <laughs> point gone subaquatic. And, <laughs> you know, I think it's perfectly fine to expect, you know, in those circumstances, some um, some shrinkage. And I just don't think it's on that whilst he's lying potentially at death's door on a table with the woman that he loves for his mum to yeah pull down his pants and <laughs> have a little 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 go at his penis i mean this i couldn't help but feel well it's quite sorry for mandress because he has like an interesting arc that he's he's swept up in sort of the national pride of being a greek and protecting his island he goes away to war um Pelagius sends him no less than a hundred letters and it took letter number a hundred to be like you know what I don't love you anymore. Sod off, mm. mate. Um, so he returns for perhaps like the second time when he's joined um, 
an insurgency on the island, a, a, a band of like rebels. And he says, He's I kept John someone joins the communist resistance. Yeah. Yeah. He gets swept up in all um, sort of the, the communist sort of propaganda. Um, and he says, I kept all your letters. Um, just never learned to read. Sorry, I'm, you know, I'm only telling you this now. Um, it's like this last that one. That is interesting just, that that doesn't gonna... come up before yeah. at any point in there. Because they're married, aren't they? They get married. Yeah, they're married, or at the very least, they are engaged to be wed um, by the medium of him gluing her to a chair and getting all the villagers to laugh at her. Um, well, I think, actually, I would say that is um, a point. I think that's where the film starts setting out. Because the thing is, is it would be a much more interesting film if it stayed true to being a war movie. I think that like the fundamental story, the real story of, of you know, what happens on that island is very interesting. And, and I think there are moments in this film where they look at the kind of the pointless nihilism of war um, in quite a, a refreshing light. And then that gets swept away very quickly in favor of making it a romantic film, which is dreadful. And <laughs> yeah. I think the it's, I think he ties her, he ties the ribbon of her dress to the chair and it's one of those romantic rom-com tropes that sets out that even though this guy is beautiful because he's christian bale mm -hmm. he is ultimately a dick it's that kind of like early act sin for the beautiful person who doesn't ultimately get the girl girl has to make so that in the end we feel justified in saying oh but he he tied a dress to the chair so it's all right that she left him for Nicolas Cage. Because <laughs> remember, he's he's an asshole at the end of the day because of that chair. Do you remember when he tied the ribbon to the chair? That's, what, that's why he deserved to die. <laughs> if anything, that's what I was screaming at the credits. Oh, ma classic Mandras. Even though you yeah. helped Cage escape, the only surviving Italian officer, you helped him escape from the island. You think I've forgotten about the, uh, the village square. You think I've forgotten about that night in 1941. I'll, I'll take yeah. that to my grave. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah despite despite the overarching horrors of um, of, of, of fascism and the, and the massacre of um, you know all of these um, Italian troops, the one the one takeaway from the movie is that bloody chair fiasco. If Ooh. anything, he was he was the um, the grand YouTube prankster, and that's where I where I draw the line. Yeah, I think, and I think that is one of the great tragedies of of the movie that you know there aren't smartphones around at the time that you can't have one of his mates, you know, filming it in in the background and then upload it to YouTube and get a couple couple million hits on um on that Penelope Cruz <laughs> accidentally tied to chair at own wedding humiliated, <laughs> you know, which humiliated. would would have been a better working title for the movie. I think more people would have kind of they'd really focused in on the minutia of that that moment. Yeah, if it had been one of those um, clickbait headlines like Penelope Cruz sits down on chair at engagement party, you won't believe what happens next. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and if I clicked, I don't know that I would have believed what happened next. Um, no, I, I could have, scarcely believe it watching it happen. I would have had a pointed tweet for Mandras in 280 characters or less about mm. what he's done to our um, to our crews, and it's um, it's a you know has to be has to be mentioned, but. Um, with his character, though, I was sort of looking at um, some of the differences from the book compared to the film as well. And it, it seems like that 
like what you were saying here, they, they sweep away a lot of the more interesting stuff as the film progresses. The book itself is really a sort of a lot darker. They've made the film a lot fluffier and taken away a lot of the um, uh, more of the horrors, really. I mean, in terms of Mandras, he returns from the war, but during the war, he had actually uh, learned to read. Um, so he was aware without having having to have one of his uh, his boys just read it for him and watch his heart break. Um, so he comes back up with the same sort of communist ideologies, but um, Pelagi admits she doesn't love him. So he actually attempts to sort of sexually assault her, but out of shame later kills herself, uh, himself rather. But in the film, she just throws the ring on the floor and he walks off into the darkness sort of um, not really to be seen again, except for escorting Cage off the island. So, um, you know, the crimes of Mandras, some would say a little bit more extreme in the book, but, you know, that's uh, that's what the, they've, they've decided to sort of uh, to take out. Um, I guess that's some, I guess that's one of the things when you're adapting a book, though, but if you focus on the romance of it, uh, this was directed by John Madden. And I've said, I like looking at what, of the uh, directors of Shakespeare in Love fame, Shakespeare in Love, Best Exotic mm. Marigold Gold Hotel, and uh, some episodes of Inspector Morse. Yeah, so. and I think you can feel it in the film as well. It's a very stage play kind of um, mm -hmm. film because I think his like his main background is in theatre, and. It obviously works so. I mean, Shakespeare in Love is a, a brilliant film. I think I've not watched it in seven years, but I think it's a good film. <laughs> and you can definitely see the same approach here. And I think that you do. There is a lot of whitewashing that goes on. I think there's a lot of oversimplifying of the sort of um, complexities of of the um, of the war. You know, the big war that happened. Um, to kind of make a, a slightly oversimplified love story that doesn't make any sense because, frankly, at the heart of it, it's a story about how Penelope Cruz falls out of love with Christian Bale because Nicolas Cage can play the mandolin, which makes no sense. It's not on any level believable that you would leave Christian Bale for Nicolas Cage. No, not at all. And the, the, see, when we first see Nicolas Cage, the first thing he does is look at um, Pelagia and shout, uh, Bella Bellissimo. He just... Bella Bellissimo. Yeah. And and in that moment, I think there, yeah, there's so much in that moment that happens because it, yeah, he publicly humiliates her in front of his whole platoon. But also it's the first time you get to hear him speak. Right. <laughs> yeah. And what did, I don't what was you, because... Presumably you've not seen the film before. So what was your like expectations of of the accent going in? To be fair, I I think like you said, as soon as I heard it, um, and I won't call myself an accent expert by any stretch, but in my um in the very fibers of my DNA, I just knew, as much as I begrudgingly hate to admit it, this was not a good accent. I can understand why you picked up the stinker. Uh, now, according to IMDb, there was no female category for that. They just made it clear this was a male-only category for worst accent. That's something to be taken up with the stinkers. Um, no, no, so he so could actually stretch that and say it's uh, worst accent across all, all the genders. Yeah, um, it's across all the genders, across every single performance that was committed to screen. The accent there was the worst 
hands down. It's, it's hands down. I could really, I mean, for me, what what it is, is it's the way that every line starts with Nicolas Cage's normal accent and then goes into a sort of exaggerated Simpsons caricature in the middle and then ends in exactly the same weird cadence at the end. Like, mm. I was trying to see if I could even do it. And in the end, I decided that it's to even attempt it sounds like you're, you are doing a sort of an annoying child's interpretation <laughs> of, of what an Italian accent is. Yeah. But it, it is like, you know, you look at John Hurt, like John Hurt, you're watching someone who looks like John Hurt, but is actually uh, a Greek doctor on an island. You know, that's how it feels when you watch a film. That's how it should feel. But it, it, when you see Nicolas Cage, everything he says starts with, ah, Nicolas <laughs> And then it's like, like, what's that line for? It's like, ah, Bella, Bella, Bella Bellissimo or whatever. It comes in and it's, um, ah, Bella. And then Bellissimo is, Bellissimo. And then it ends with this weird, like, uh, like like the catchphrase like sound for when they, they reveal a tire like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's honestly like he could accompany every line in that film with uh, an over exaggerated chef's kiss and then pull out a big pizza pie <laughs> and it would it would read you'd you'd buy it as much as you buy the rest of his performance yeah i mean like you say i I think from knowing a bit about Cage expected a more convincing accent because sort of, you know, lest we forget he's of the, the Coppola heritage and they are um, of an Italian heritage. So I, his yeah. father's <laughs> Italian. So I thought if anyone who isn't directly Italian has some input as to what the Italian accent is, <laughs> it's going to be Nicolas Cage. But he, th- he thought, you know what, um, I'll wing it. And then we just got... Um, and with respect to the source of Dolmio advert of an accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a real puppet accent. Really it odd. I mean, that's the thing about Cage. He makes he makes these choices and he goes all in. Um I was just looking here as well at the um other nominees for most annoying fake accent male. We've got um Hank Azaria for American Sweethearts, Shane West, Freddie Prince Jr., Justin Chambers for Get Over It, Summer Catch and the wedding planner respectively um but looking at the other the other awards for that um tom green won worst actor for freddie got fingered Dwayne the rocks johnson got uh worst supporting actor for the mummy returns oh um, that's not on Cuba <laughs> Gooding jr was nominated for rat race no less wow speaking of which so, so there you go. No, so not so rat race not as far removed from Captain Corelli's mandolin as we <laughs> originally thought. I think I'll keep that pairing, good sir, if you if you don't mind. Um, yeah. A delicious bellissimo, uh, <laughs> bellissimo Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, so in terms of characterizations as well, um, and again, I say this sort of not knowing entirely how the book compares to the film or how similar some aspects are different. Um, with David Morrissey's Captain Gunther Webber, um, it, it was weird for me because I was, I think he's, um, with the Italians, they've also put some German forces on the island. He is by default uh, the highest ranking officer on the island. But also he's history's shyest Nazi. 
and there, there was there was at different points in the film I was like am am I am I supposed to feel kind of bad for him because he's always just like in the background just kind of like looking down and his foot's just like rubbing in the sand going like like I just want to <laughs> sing with the Italians as well um he, like he just wants to sing he just wants to do what the Italians are doing and what they do basically better than other forces I've seen is just sing and bang the local women and he just wants yeah, a bit of there that, is a bit of a that. Lot, <laughs> it is an interesting portrayal of uh, Mussolini's fascists in in that they they it is just like a summer camp movie right like there is an uh, there is this moment really early on where they go to the the, the beach and um they're all singing arias and they've got the, the fashionable italian ladies with their uh, parasols and their uh, sort of beach dungarees on and um and yeah, and David Morrissey gets bullied by like the camp jocks, basically, of the Italians. Like there's this um there's this kind of moment where he comes up, he's like, Oh, hello. I thought I would just introduce myself. And they and and they um they really slam him down like in that way that um you would get like a uh, like a beat in like a summer camp movie where they're like Oh, you think you can sing arias? <laughs> well, let me tell you, you don't know opera, man. <laughs> yeah, you best get out of here, dude. <laughs> and then, um, you know, Nicolas Cage is like, oh, yeah, leave him alone, you guys. <laughs> He's not so bad. He's not a bad Nazi. <laughs> it's like they were building him up to be sort of the Greek prom queen. Yeah, 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 there is, yeah. <laughs> It does. It does take a lot. It has a lot of those beats in the film. Um, you've got the whole thing of like who's going to take Penelope Cruz to the dance. Um, you know, it's a big like prom queen, and it does. I mean, and to be fair, it does end in a very similar way to Carrie, um, with a big bloodbath. So yeah, <laughs> prom queen is crowned. There's a bloodbath. We all mm. we all laugh and hold arms together, link arms at the end. Um, it was it was sort of until that point because he, he pops up like I said there's that bit where they, where um, uh, Nicholas Cage's Italian band of brothers are on the beach they're with a lot of the local women they're singing they're having a nice time a lovely little picnic of sorts and then he just turns up in full uniform it's like I like I just happened to be peeping from a rock behind here and was wondering if I could if I could join in and they're like oh, well I, I suppose you, you don't seem bad like the rest of them. Yeah, until you do never see and i think it's a problem in not to say a problem but definitely a thing in in all western cinema you never really see i don't think a nazi relaxing (laughs) whenever there's a nazi in a movie he's always got to be in full uniform always you know that classic gray the sort of the the austere hat the armbands those polished leather boots yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are, I'm sure that there are examples of it, but it is, yeah. But you don't, you know, you never see it. like the Italians, uh, you know, just in their sort of breeches and um, uh, shirts unbuttoned, you know, trousers rolled up as they kind of bathe in the in the sands. You don't get that from <laughs> David Morris. David Morris doesn't get the opportunity to uh, to chill out. No, I, you know, I wanted to see an example of Nazi Morrissey who was a little less anxious because when they have the um i suppose the the, the italian festivities when they uh, say you know what we're all right we're just here because we have to be they're all in the town square and say we're just gonna have a night of relaxation in festivities they pull out the little italian trumpets uh the dancing with uh sort of the locals 
Mm. And they're called the trompettos, I believe. Uh, the trompettos. Ah, um, the little Italian trompettos. <laughs> I thought that, I think the last time, I, I don't know why my, my mind went to this, um, to, sort of going back to sort of like March of this year when um, in this country, particularly in the, in the UK, we were like, Oh, coronavirus, that's a bit of a laugh, isn't it? Because it's only happening in Italy. There's those, all those videos that came up of like the Italians in their balconies. All of them just happened to have little trompettos. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, this in times of hardship and togetherness, pull out a tiny trompetto, have a little toot, and you start winning people over. I think it was as true in the 40s as it is now in the 2020s. So, you know, good for you, the Italians mm. and your little, it's, little trumpets. It's- it's an interesting, I wonder where you think the movie comes down politically, because I, I found it quite confusing, the um, the, the differing portrayals of um, the kind of armed Greek resistance, uh, you know, Christian Bale going off to become uh, a partisan fighter, the way the Italians are portrayed as just kind of being there for a laugh was kind of what I yeah took away from it like they're very happy when Mussolini gets overthrown and I mean listen I don't know everything that happened in the war but it's that struck me as a little odd if if I'm being honest yeah um, it's like they when they sort of march into sort of the town square at the start um obviously we were focusing on Cage he's got the mandolin strapped on his back but it, Which is fucking ridiculous, by the way. You'd never be allowed <laughs> as a, a captain leading a, 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 a regiment to walk into a, a, an island that you're occupying with a fucking mandolin strapped. <laughs> it just sends such a bad signal. <laughs> but on the top of the uh, like those like those town hall squares, and he's just got that mandolin on his back, so the Nazis are introducing themselves. And it's like I can't wait to play this and have sex with the women. Which I've got to say to, to my to my shame, when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, why has he got? He's got a lute." What? <laughs> it, took me, it took me about five seconds to be like, "Ah, hold on, it's a mandolin." Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so is that the mandolin in Captain Corelli's mandolin? That's just a mandolin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Nicholas Cage is actually playing a sort of a background extra for for most of the film. He's a sort of lieutenant. <laughs> um, wannabe mandolin player well again going back to the to the book and we're sort of skipping ahead here when he's escorted off the island in the book um apparently he does become a very famous mandolin player in the film he's gone off to record a mandolin ep um didn't once <laughs> didn't once play stairway he sends that to um Pelagia. It's Penelope, Penelope Cruz's mixtape <laughs> Well, uh, mandolin's going to be on there, um, but it's not, is it? He's like, it's like it's the guitar now. No, you're right. You're right. That's he, the he, twist. He's he's actually he wrote he's he, he's, done, he's just done it on the guitar instead. Found it better <laughs> apparently. It's like despite the fact he's very into his mandolin, he um, leaves and is like, the guitar is bigger for my hands, and he records some lovely uh, guitar for the. Um, the Manda EP, um, the Mandalinorian EP, um, and then he it's just an, turns up at the end. It's an interesting moment because it does raise questions of like what what was the timeline of that? Like, did he immediately get back to Italy and decide with a change of regime comes a change of instruments, or 
did he like stay by the mandolin up until the recording session was he like in the booth trying to lay down this mandolin track and after sweating out for a couple of hours you know and they've got half an hour left in the studio the engineer's just like listen we need to try so we need to try some bit differently he's like no I could do it. He's like, no, but you're, listen, you've just got two fat fingers for this tiny, delicate instrument. You can't, you just can't play the, you can't play the mandolin. It's my identity, my whole identity is wrapped up. Well, listen, so, well, let's try this. It's like, my name's Captain Corelli Mandolin, not Captain Corelli question mark. Yeah. The, one, the one time he plays it for Hurt, he, he, John Hurt just gets completely frustrated because he spends about 20 minutes just tapping it and it's like it's like, <laughs> it's like what are you doing why aren't you playing it's like i'm imagining the opera and then he just storms inside is like right you're actually taking the piss now all of this is nonsense but your mm. mandolin monstrosity is where where i draw the line maybe it's because yeah. he, he just couldn't tap the guitar so like the, the studio was like right well you have to you have to play it now it's totally unviable as well for um the the character or 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 Nicolas Cage would, if asked to play the mandolin, start by tapping the instrument for what is it, like twenty three bars. He says he's going for because the mandolin part hasn't come into the orchestra yet. Yeah. And I don't think like I think it's supposed to give us this sense that what like he's some sort of visionary or you know he's like uh, living in his head. He's this beautiful artist, but I just think that like there's no. It, it doesn't give a good impression if you can't play your part without getting confused about if you can't just without tapping for 23 but which is fucking ages that's not the sign of a good musician <laughs> i mean like obviously john her dr Yanis, from what we seem to understand he seems to be the only doctor on the island and it's like right if i'm gonna have an Italian officer stationed with me and my daughter is like, right, I'm going to, I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to try and make the most of this situation. And I just try to put myself in his shoes when you just sat in front of like a dinner table outside, lovely Island, yeah, Greek night. And then it's just, <laughs> I feel like you, you, you are, you're taking the piss. Yeah. But in, 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 a, in, a, in a weird way though, this is, also what he wants because he makes it clear at the start that he doesn't particularly approve of Mandras trying to court his daughter and I think he says you know my ideal scenario for you is that you end up with a a Norwegian dentist mm. um, and it, basically the film says well will an Italian mandolin player fill that gap? It do yeah we've, <laughs> yeah yeah it is he does he does he fit you know she's a very intelligent gifted young lady and you know uh, a doctor she's learning a profession and he doesn't want to see her tied to a fisherman from the island he wants better for his daughter and I think that's really aspirational and I think that completely falls apart at the moment that he settles for Nicolas Cage it makes absolutely no no sense <laughs> it's, you know despite like you know even leaving aside the fact that he's an occupying hostile enemy fascist <laughs> and your beautiful greek island he's not he's not good he doesn't show himself to be good at doing anything he can't play the mandolin when he sings it is absolutely atrocious <laughs> he doesn't come across as particularly intelligent or erudite or charming or anything at any point during the film he's just 
you know, and I think to be fair, it's the fundamental problem of Nicolas Cage. He's just Nicolas Cage. You're just, you know, all of those moments, like the tapping that could say, I think in another actor's hands could be drawn out to say, you know, he's an oddball or um, he's like just a daydreamer or whatever. Here, it's just, it's Nicolas Cage threatening to go into method crazy. Yeah. You know, he's, it, he has that look in his eyes. And I think Nicolas Cage can only really, for me, I don't know how you feel, but he can, that's his kind of, his main mode to, to go from quiet simmering to full out, you know, face stretching crazy. Yeah, he, he's he's very much um, a, a destination kind of guy, as opposed to the journey. Um, he's he's A and B, not to B. Um, it's just before <laughs> and after. Um, but it's it, it, what you sort of said about there about him, you know, not particularly being sort of the most um, interesting in terms of courting uh, Pelagia. It seems to be the only two things he did. Um, to sort of try and win, or at least from the perspective of the audience, to sort of have him on side and say he's worthy of her. Um, he has that little interaction at sort of the town square with uh, David Morrissey when David Morrissey has that line where you go, oh, yeah, because he said that because he's a Nazi, I remember he's bad, where he's just like, well, scientifically speaking, Germans are just uh, Germans are just better. And he's like, well, if I saw someone getting kicked in, I would help them and think of them as my brother in this very, very brief science versus morality argument is like, well, I'm not a dickhead and I've got a mandolin, so jog on, Nazi. Um, yeah, the movie is very unconcerned with exploring the theories of the Herrenvolk or, um, <laughs> you know, Mussolini's own racial pure ideologies it it just wants to get into the kissing you know <laughs> and why not who can blame them yeah you know what i mean what is it it's like 1994 when when the film comes or is it, oh, it's 2001 is it 2001 the book was in uh 94 okay um, well whatever we're very far beyond the days of 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 war you know yeah blah 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 uh we want to have a racially superior race blah 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 now let's get on with the let's get to the bit who's gonna kiss her it's a it's a it's a a who's gonna kiss her film you know yeah is is it gonna be bruce wayne or is it gonna be um tonto (laughs) mandolin boy um the the only other bit i know anybody where i think the italian forces are now trying to win favor with the locals is when that uh, rusted Turkish bomb washes up on the shore. And they're like, well, let's blow it up. That'll be a bit of fun. And then they fuck that up as well. The cord's too short. Then they have to rebuild the sandbag house and he all but blows himself up. Mm. Um, it has to get fixed by fixed by John Hurt again. So Another ass-related in- in- injury. <laughs> it's just... Something about John Hurt's that real ass, ass doctor in there. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a spe- specialising in ass trauma. <laughs> it's like, but um, I don't think it. I think it might have been. It was either him. Um, yeah, I think it was him when they're looking at Mandras's Mandras ass at the start. It's like Mandras's ass. <laughs> Tell me about the gluteus. It's like, well, it is where the poop come out, um, which is, which it didn't seem like it hurt him that much, but. Um, Christian Bale just 
having a lovely time just doing what he can to you know protect his island if anything he's one of the he's one of the great ass actors of our age i think christian bale um yeah. you know probably one of the most recognizable uh posteriors in hollywood if if not the americas so it is lovely yeah. to see him get any opportunity to flex his uh, twin muscles yeah. <laughs> well you know christian bale you're not going to see him on a on a stinkers list anytime soon not for that ass acting no like, his his ass smells of potpourri and roses <laughs> but um every people love getting blown up in in this and i sense that even aside from the atrocities of war like he takes a cannon to the to the backside uh, nicholas cage blows himself up in a completely failed attempt to win the favor of the locals uh john hurt at the end not so much an explosion but the earthquake at the end um that takes him out um it's like in the book that actually kills him but here as a little dust off and he's like ha, uh, what what lark what larks we've had before he regenerates into a christopher eccleston um <laughs> but uh, in the book as well apparently he gets taken off the island to a to, to a camp but then he returns traumatized so here he you know he just at most um he has a, a beam a beam to the shoulder and he's um he's all right they get the house rebuilt yeah um, you can feel the the you can feel the hollywood prints on it like you can feel those bits in a movie where even having not read the book you can tell something far worse obviously happened there like nicholas Cage somehow miraculously surviving the uh firing squad i mean whether or not that happens in the book whatever but it does you know that feels like a a bit of a, a a rewrite yeah john hurt being all right definitely seems a bit and it, i think it undermine i think the what what's annoying about it is it undermines anything that's really good about the film in terms of the messaging that it you know there's an obvious metaphor going throughout about earthquakes there's a lot of talk about earthquakes the whole um ionian island complex you know is is beautiful because it's on a, a fault line like it's um it's beautiful to look at and, 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 you know, because of the result of these, these kind of violent and uncaring eruptions. And I think that there's a whole thing in there about, you know, war and the pointlessness of it. And after everything they go through at the end, you know, it, there's that bit where um, he says something or other about how if God meant for us to survive, um, then he must have a plan. And it's immediately followed by his house collapsing around him in an earthquake, <laughs> which I thought was, you know, a really beautiful statement about how actually, you know, there is no God and there is no plan. It's just pointless slaughter, which is what really the, the takeaway of the, the movie should have been. But no, he's all right. And then Nicolas Cage comes back and they yeah. get hitched. Yeah, they... um. Well, he he says at one point, you know, I had no right to make you love me when you w weren't mine to love, but he did it anyway. It's on the poster, <laughs> and and if we and if we talk about the kiss, I know we've been skirting around the big issues while we've been talking. Um, as as all Italian officers with mandolins do, I'm assuming, um, you, you you take the um the the bella bellissima of the island into the woods. Um, you get down to the business. I think in the Cage films I've watched so far, and especially in some of the earlier films, there's often a scene where he will make love to a woman. Uh, there's never any hint of protection because he is he is a fully method man. Um, there is a Penelope Cruz breast. They have some lovely Greek times. 
They had um, full-blown sex, which was pretty surprising. I was not expecting it because it's it's the first kiss as well, and it happens about halfway through the film, so it's not. It doesn't feel right. Like we've not seen them. I don't think really share a scene before the before they have <laughs> full-blown. Like there's a bit where he he gets his ass hurt, and then and then they have sex. Yeah, I mean, it is isn't that the way it's it happens in the real life? I mean, like this, that's, yeah, how my mum and dad met. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it was for everyone else. I mean, what do you <laughs> what do you think of him as a romantic lead? I think I think certainly looking at it from a twenty twenty perspective, with all the knowledge we sort of have and all the crazy backstories about Cage now, it's always weird. Because it's, as a romantic lead, it's just not the role you would put him into. But I think for a time, especially with his early career, like he did like a lot of more drama-based films and films that had romance elements in them. And weirdly enough, I guess in his early films, he was quite a good-looking guy. So he had that going for him. It yeah. kind of, it, there's something about him which, again, because of the craziness we know and associate with him, it makes it almost um impossible to register on any kind of mental level that he can be a romantic lead um so when he and it's very rare that he doesn't get the girl in the films i've seen up until this point um it's almost contractual that he you know he he will raw dog um because he just refuses to wear protection um i think i would i've always been a defender of Valley Girl. I think Valley Girl is a good Nicolas Cage. Uh, to be fair, I think Valley Girl is a really good film, and I think I think it's a good Cage film because it's his first major role. And when I first saw it, it really changed my perspective on it because up until then, I'd only ever really seen, um, you know, like Raising Arizona and Wicker Man and all of mm. those kinds of films. And to see him as a young caterpillar eyebrowed man yeah was it was a really disconcerting experience because actually for a large portions of that film he's a believable actor he's a believable lead and i think more than anything else what what i'm what i found so distressing about it was that i wasn't seeing nicholas cage i was just watching a movie and it wasn't like every time he was on screen i was thinking what's nicholas cage doing you know, I was believing the character up until that bit where he's in the the bathroom and he pokes his eyebrows above the the shower. Yeah, he's hiding in the shower. I was like, okay, I've got. I take some exception with this, but I agree. Other than that, it's a very well. It's it's the film. moment. It's it's one of the moments in the film we see flashes of Cage. You see flashes of the man hiding behind the teenage boy. You know. Yeah. You see uh, the Doctor Jekyll and you know Mister Hyde sort of. Um, yeah. It's there. <laughs> the yellow-eyed monster is in there. Yeah, it's before he's com completely consumed by his shadow self. It's <laughs> it's just a believable film, and I don't, I just don't think that like after that one, you get many or any examples of um, Nicolas Cage being able to portray a, a convincing romantic lead in something. Yeah, I mean, following on from that, I mean, it's he's had roles where romance has been a part of it, but I think that one, in terms of romantic leads, he definitely peaked. 
quite early. I mean, after that, he has... It was his first film, wasn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he, he went in on a high. I mean, after that, I mean, <laughs> he had... The only one where he was sort of a romantic lead, really, after that, I mean, there's flashes of it in The Boy in Blue when he plays a rower, and then Peggy Sue got married, but he just does a weird, nasally high voice throughout the rest of it. You've got Wilder Heart, which is weird, but because David Lynch. And then uh-huh. you've got some more um, sort of more comedy-based efforts with, like, Honeymoon in Vegas. I mean, you get Zanderley, but that's just... That's basically pornography. Um with him just with the long hair and the devil's moustache just moaning, Zanderley, and then just um, having sex with Zanderley alleyways and art rooftops and stuff. Um, and then also Steve Buscemi's in it as a prophetic bin man who just turns up every now and then. Uh, that's one that sticks with you. So, t- you know, take that take that as you will. But, um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's weird, and you'd think... If you're weighing up the pros and cons of a uh, Captain Antonio Corelli versus Mandras the Fisher Boy, um, you would think that maybe Mandras slightly pips it. Um, I think if we're going to look at the, at the nitty gritty, I suppose if you if you were in um, Pelagia's uh, shoes and you were in that situation, let's just forget about all your friends have died or the other islanders have hung them because they're traitors for kissing Nazis. Let's push that out of the equation where do you fall on you know um, who's gonna win my heart the mandolin player or the fisherman who actually has a, a viable and commercial use on the island i don't think i'll go for either of them I, you know i think Paji's character is um somebody who you know she loves her community she loves her father um and she loves her trade as well and i i, I don't i just don't see any i i understand that like i think you couldn't have a happy life with with mandras because he is a man of of the village and you know i think there's an implication that with it comes certain like established gender roles and and whatnot but i think you get that with you know marrying a an italian captain as well i just i just blow the whole thing off and go over to the mainland and study medicine to be (laughs) honest with you you meet, you meet a nice man over there. I don't think I don't think you need either of these guys in your life. Yeah, because like, what's her life going to be? You know, sitting around whilst Nicolas Cage tries to work on his mandolin album, <laughs> trying to get that fucking tune that he's you know he's always playing that. He's got that one tune that he's written, uh, Pelagia's theme, which is crap, by the way. Oh, and also quite a funny thing, if you get the, the DVD, there's a, a bonus extra where you can watch a music video. Oh, dear. Yeah, which is just like um, all the excerpts from the film, which didn't involve the massacre of Italian troops um, <laughs> and a man singing some some lovely operatic tenor. <laughs> well, £5.19 on Amazon, well spent, and the booklet as yeah. well. That's, yeah, I suppose you're right, though. If if uh, Plagia had some, you know, I guess more say in the matter, just, just go to John Hurt and say, I'm going to go to the mainland and find myself a loot player with some self-respect. God mm. damn it. And then... Um, I think she does have that, like, I think that's one of the annoying things about the film is that I think that relationship is there and the film imposes this romantic structure on top of it. 
where it just doesn't belong or matter frankly yeah yeah the war just becomes kind of a, a thing that happens you know italian it's style, set dress but... it's set dressing for the kissing <laughs> it's like what about the kiss yeah kiss her I, like already. i honestly at some point early on in the film found myself sympathizing more um from uh david morrissey's nazi point of view because <laughs> yeah. at least the nazis were bringing this realism that war is brutal and, and nihilistic and it's not about lounging around on the beach and forming an amateur operatic society and kissing <laughs> you know it was about a fight for uh for freedom and the ideals of uh, democracy in in western europe and the wider world and I, I don't i don't see much of that in this movie to be honest <laughs> yeah you know just 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 a lot that i can't relate to on a personal level other than the, the guy with the pee in his ear um yeah I, you really I, felt that eh? <laughs> stayed with you and you know to be fair and at the end of the film it's like like <laughs> Please, John Hurt, put the pee back in my ear. And I was like, oh, what a caper. I want to see a spin-off with this guy, the pee villager. I want to know what he's up to next. But, um, you know, that's 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 what we leave things. Cage returns to the island after about um, sort of three or four years, um, just turns up, and they just pick up where they left off. And, and I'm sure it's more kissing. Yeah, it is quite, it's a confusing timeline, isn't it? Because actually, because the events of the film feel like they take place over one summer. But the actual time period, I think, is three years. Because it takes us up yeah. until the end of the war. Because it, I'm pretty sure it's set in 1940. And the Italians, I don't think they, I don't think they surrender until 1943. So actually, there's a free, it's a three year romance and then he's got to go away and come back once everything's settled down. So, yeah, you are talking quite a long... You're talking like six or seven years crammed into what feels like one long summer. Yeah. A camp. <laughs> it's like... You get, yeah, you get those camp movies. It's like, this is going to be the craziest Greek camp of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and isn't isn't there a bit like at the end where um, David Moritz is like, will you write to me? Do you think we'll still <laughs> yes. be friends before yeah. before she like mock executes him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, we've had like oh, sort of shy Nazi. Maybe he's been put into a position that he doesn't want. We don't know the full story here. And it's like, oh, actually, Germans and the whites were, were quite good, right? And it's like, fancy being pen pals. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if anyone was playing with my emotions in that film, credit to David Morrissey, because I didn't know where I stood with uh, yeah. with Captain Webber. Um, but he, he's he was just, just he was just an innocent Nazi caught up in things he didn't understand. You know, he was he was just I'm just another guy looking for that sweet summer fling. And he, yeah, uh, <laughs> and he didn't get it. Un unfortunately, he didn't get it. Um, yeah, but... Hitler sent him to um, Kefalonia to make some bloody friends. <laughs> Captain Crelly's uh, or Captain Weber's triangle, the uh, the sequel, when he returns with the uh, Groucho Marx uh, disguise on to um, f to find himself over one fateful summer. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but um you know 
fa fantasy Nazi sequels aside, and I suppose look and um, wrapping up um, as we reflect back on Captain Crowley's mandolin, um, what were your what were your sort of, Jerry Springer wise your final thoughts on this crazy crazy summer in Kefalonia? Hmm. Um. Oh, gosh. I don't know really. It's hard to sum up. I thought it was actually it was surprisingly good. I thought it was a much better movie than uh, than I was expecting. Um, I would say never trust a Nazi. <laughs> well, I think you know there's there's lessons to be learned there because you think yeah. they're the friends and then they want to be pay they pen pals and then they want your PayPal. When does yeah. it end? Well, listen, it is hard. It's hard to be um, an innocent Italian you know, flying out for a, a fun summer sojourn on the uh, Ionian Islands. Uh, and then all this, you know, bloody war stuff keeps getting in the way of the kissing. <laughs> if there's one thing that I hate that gets in the way of a kiss, <laughs> it's a bloody massacre. Really, really uh, grinds my gears, to be honest. And it keeps oh, happening. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing like a real-life war atrocity, the massacre... <laughs> of your former allies um, <laughs> to, um, to really spoil a, a sweet summer of love with Penelope Cruz and John Hurt as the father. I think the real takeaway is, you know, if you want uh, all the fun and thrills of the fair, um, watch this, but then immediately watch Rat Race is my, is, is my, uh, is my palate cleansing takeaway of Captain Crowley's Mandolin. But like or, I said, I think, watch 120 days of Sodom and then watch Captain Corelli's mandolin as a palate cleanser for that. Two, just two opposing visions of uh, Mussolini's regime. Three if you count rat race. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, lovely. I mean, like, like, like you said, I think it's a better film than it had any right to be. It starts out promisingly, uh, not nearly enough mandolin and the mandolin we get is lacking at best, if you like a man tapping uh, the wooden neck of a mandolin, can't recommend this film enough. But if you want to see uh, Nicolas Cage shredding, I don't think you're going to find it. I don't it's think good for it if you're a, a, a budding mandolin player and you want to watch an instructional video, beginners, you know, how to hold the mandolin, how to fret uh, <laughs> certain notes and how to play a couple of uh, couple of scales, running scales. Then yeah, this is, you know, about about 40 minutes to 42 minutes in is the right it's the right film for you <laughs> and if you want to you know understand how to count yourself in when you're performing with the opera i mean that's quite pro level stuff but you're going to get some big tips big tips yeah. <laughs> 23 bars worth <laughs> 23 bars worth of solid gold mandolin tips um but yeah lovely stuff um so that brings us to the end of captain corelli's mandolin and also the episode. It's been um, lovely to walk around the golden shores of Kefalonia with you, Sam. Um, it's it's been an absolute pleasure for the uh, the listeners. Where can we find you on the socials? Uh, I'm at, at Sam Nicaresti on Twitter, N I C O R E S T I, and then Sam is S A M, and then put those words together in the opposite order. You've got at Sam Nicaresti on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful well please do go and uh follow uh mandolin enthusiast sam nicaresti 
over on Twitter. Sam, once again, uh, generally from uh, the bottom of my uh, Italian operatic heart, thank you for joining me on the journey to true cage nirvana. It's been a, a pleasure to have you uh, to have you here. Yeah, it's been absolutely bellissimo. I love to think that you're like, yeah, I'll get that in right at the end. And I love it. <laughs> I demand more See, of it. Only Italian word I know, unfortunately. <laughs> well, um, well, uh, from me and from Sam, ciao, bella, bellissimos. And until the next one, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you. Take care. And... Bye-bye. Ciao, Bella, bellissimo. Ciao, Bella, bellissimo. Domingo. Who knows? Bellissimo!